Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Have you ever discovered something about yourself that you didn't like? Maybe it's a blemish on your face. Maybe it's a little flab around the torso. Maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe you've been told all your life that you have a good heart. But upon closer inspection, you see that your heart isn't really that great at all. Well, today we're going to be talking about something that might cause some uneasy feelings. So grab a Bible and turn to John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36, because this message is entitled, Spiritual Jealousy. Have you ever suffered with spiritual jealousy? Now, when I say spiritual jealousy, I don't mean the same kind of jealousy that God has when Scripture says He's a jealous God. What I'm talking about is the kind of jealousy that arises whenever you see spiritual activity happening in someone else's life, and you become quite envious. You may even say to yourself, I wish God would work through me like that. Now, this is th- that much different, I-, I think, of just siblings fighting for their daddy's attention. We all want to know that God loves us. But I think it's more than that. We want to know that God favors us. And spiritual jealousy typically arises when people start getting special attention for what God is doing in and through them. And I love what the, the Christian comedian Tim Hawkins have, has to say about a form of spiritual jealousy whenever he says, Here, have you ever been envious of a person's testimony? You think to yourself, man, they have an awesome testimony. Not like mine. I sure wish I was addicted to crack. <laughs> because it's such a ridiculous notion. Like, like because there is a great leap from from as sinful as a person can get to turning to God, that that is somehow more valuable. But what's valuable is that people turn to God at all. Several years ago, um, our Wednesday night ministry was so incredibly large, we were having to meet in three different locations with all of our students, which helped lead to the construction of the building that we have across the street. Well, um, I heard a, um, a word from the pastor down the street um, that wasn't very nice about our Wednesday night ministry. What I'm told he said was, the only reason that church has so many kids going to it is because all they do over there is have fun. They aren't teaching those kids about God. Now, at first, when I heard that, it made me laugh because I was like, what, learning about God isn't fun? But then as I began to think on it and just chew on it, it just outright offended me. Because I began to ask the question, has that person even been to our church? Have they even seen what we're doing? How could they have been so ugly about what God has been doing in our church? And then I was just able to conclude that sometimes, even the best of us fall into spiritual jealousy. And and I don't think it arises from an ungodly desire. I think we all want to be used by God. However, it develops into our hearts and in our lives into something far from God's will because we begin seeing what we want to see in us and others. But I think that can show us something very ugly about ourselves. So we all have spiritual jealousy from time to time. What do we do about it? Well, that's where God's word comes in. In today's passage, the Apostle John records an incident in John the Baptist's ministry that reflects how we might overcome spiritual jealousy when it happens in our hearts. In this passage, John the Baptist somehow masters his heart and overcomes spiritual jealousy. Let's read about how. I'm going to read in John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. This is what it says. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. 
John also was baptizing in Anon near Shalim because there was so much water there and people were coming and were being baptized for John had not been thrown into prison yet. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who was the bride is the bride he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, and I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who is from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one received his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he who gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask that you just show yourself to us through the scripture and that, um, Father, that your will will be done in our heart and in our life. We love you in all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we learned some incredible things about spiritual jealousy in this passage. First and foremost, spiritual jealousy usually surfaces when something we're doing has started to lose traction or things don't necessarily go as planned. Now, it happens um, when we forget the reason we're here. In this passage, the Apostle John paints a, a, a scene for us. Jesus had left the conversation with Nicodemus, and, and now he was out baptizing people, much like John the Baptist was. Now, it is important to note that Jesus wasn't actually baptizing anyone. His disciples were. At least that's what John says in John chapter 4, verse 2 that uh, it wasn't actually Jesus baptizing, but his disciples. Now, why is this important? Well, I, I think it's possible for followers to develop a, a spiritual superiority complex. And, and if Jesus had been baptizing people, someone could have easily said, don't try to tell me what's in the Bible. I was baptized by Jesus himself. And perhaps this is the reason why John makes this distinction, that Jesus himself didn't baptize. But it also says that John the Baptist was out baptizing again in a different place from before, not far from where Jesus and his disciples were. And many people were coming to him for baptism. Now, if you remember the story in John 1, John the Baptist was baptizing and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to question him about by what authority he was baptizing people. And again, baptism wasn't new to John the Baptist. He didn't introduce baptism. There was a strict order of Jews that regularly baptized people known as the Essenes. These Essenes would baptize people to, quote, purify them or to wash away sin. However, they would only do it when they converted people to Judaism. So in John 3, chapter 3, verse 25, the Apostle John makes note that an argument started out between John the Baptist's disciples and a Jew over the rites of purification through baptism. 
So it's easy to see how conflict could arise because John the Baptist and his disciples weren't just baptizing non-Jews. They were baptizing anyone and everyone in need of repentance. So this Jewish man very likely came looking for trouble, accusing them of blasphemy and doing that they're doing something ungodly. But notice what happens as a result. John the Baptist's disciples come to him and they complain, not about the man who tried to argue with them about what they were doing, but about the popularity of Jesus. Now, it's been my experience in the ministry that when conflict starts to arise, it's because something isn't right in our hearts. In other words, whenever I start to see problems within the organization of the church or something else that's going on, it's because my heart isn't in the right place. It's because I'm out of alignment with what what God wants for me. And I'm going to go as far as to say that if their hearts had been in the right place, they would not even engaged in an argument in the first place. And I say this because this wasn't a new argument. John the Baptist was confronted two chapters ago by Jewish leaders who wanted to know the same things. This argument happened because things were not going as planned. They had started to lose traction in, in the baptism department. And Jesus wasn't supposed to be down the river baptizing. Why was he there? Was he there to steal their thunder? John the Baptist's disciples should have been prepared for haters to show up on the scene and start blasting what they were doing. But because their hearts were focused elsewhere, they tied into it with this man and they lost control. They got into an argument. And when we lose control, when we get pulled into an argument that we shouldn't be in, it always leads to anger and shame. First towards the people that we're arguing with, But then it moves inward, and it moves inward quickly. We get very angry at ourselves for allowing ourselves to be dragged into such an argument, and we feel ashamed for being so foolish. But this will happen when our heart is out of alignment. And this is an important lesson for our church. When conflict starts to arise, it's because we started to lose focus on why we're here and what it is that we're supposed to be doing. Churches that split are churches that have division. Division simply means two visions. We think we should go one way. Well, we think we should go the other way. Why do we find ourselves there? Because we lose our focus. Our heart falls out of alignment. It gets twisted. And we have to regularly remind ourselves why we are here. We are not here to have a good Sunday morning service. We're not here to fellowship with our friends and family. We're not even here to be a Baptist church, which none of these things aren't, aren't, aren't wrong necessarily. We're here to make disciples for Christ, and the focus cannot be on us. The focus has to be on bringing glory to God. So spiritual jealousy will surface when we, when, we, when we start to lose traction or things don't go as planned, but it always comes down to the fact that we lose our focus. Well, we also learn something else about spiritual jealousy. What we learn is, is that spiritual jealousy arises, when it arises, it should show us that something is wrong within our hearts. Our focus is in the wrong place. If John's disciples' focus had been on being helping these people be right with God, they would have never said the things that they said. That's not where their hearts were. You know, I had a friend that uh, purchased a car, 
and uh, it was a really nice car. And and uh, his other friends, he was telling me about it. His other friends started trashing his car verbally, like, "Man, this thing's a piece of junk, and I don't even know why you buy that." And and he just got frustrated. And he concluded, like, "I guess you guys aren't really my friends." And he asked him, he's like, "Man, why do you have to trash what I'm excited about? Why can't you just be happy for me?" And that's the thing about jealousy: is that it causes us to put others down because it's not happening to us. And when there's unrest in our heart about spiritual activity that's happening in somebody else's life, it should cause us to ask ourselves the question, why can't I just be happy? Do you remember what the Apostle John said in John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25? He said Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to other men because he knew all men. He himself did not need anybody to testify concerning man, for he knew what was in the heart of man. What John was talking about was how men have other agendas when they come to Christ. And in today's passage, he's drawing the same conclusions about John the Baptist's disciples. Much like how Nicodemus had his own agenda, hey, Jesus, come be a part of us. John the Baptist's disciples had an agenda as well. Jesus, we don't care if you're baptized just as long as you do it with us. And as it turns out, there are several reasons, several reasons, why a person can serve the Lord. For example, I was reading the book When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting your, uh, hurting Others and Yourself. And in this book, the author asks this question, why do you want to help the poor? Now, now it's easy for us to answer, well, because Jesus commanded us to. But the author really encouraged us, to, you know, the readers, to, to, to search for an answer to that question. Why do I really want to help the poor. Yeah, all that's great, but why am I in it for real? Now, much of the time, I think we'll discover it's because it makes us feel good about ourselves. I mean, we want to help people because it makes us feel good. In some cases, it's because we like to rush in and save the day and be seen as a hero. Sometimes it's just because we want to feel like we've accomplished something worthwhile in our lives. And maybe it's just because we want to be a person of significance in God's eyes. And none of those things are bad. But we also should see that we already are a person of significance in God's eyes. Now, as painful as this is to admit, much of the time our desire is to to serve God. It isn't really about serving God at all. It's about serving ourselves. You see, we want glory. And so, we use people, like the poor, for example, as objects to fulfill our own need to truly accomplish something worthwhile. Bring ourselves glory. And I'm no different. I've had several occasions of spiritual jealousy in my life, and it's always ugly. I'll tell you about one of the ugliest times. This happened to me. I, I was at a pep rally for the school one day. And um, we'd walked into the gym, and a woman walked out into the court, and she was given a microphone to address the entire student body. And what she said was, This town really needs a strong youth ministry in it, so I want to start one. And I thought, like, we, we ministered over 100 kids on Wednesday night. What are we, chopped liver? And then she did something that, that really disturbed me. She called down the students from the stands to come down and pray with her. 
And I'll never forget how green my eyes must have turned when I saw some of the very same kids that we ministered to on Wednesday nights going down and joining this woman for prayer. And I began to think things like, she's not supposed to do that at a school function. She's like she's, she's mixing church and state. And those are our kids. You see, in my heart, ministering to these kids on Wednesday nights wasn't really about the kids. And God started to show me this. It was all about me. I served the Lord because it made me look good in the community. I love these kids because, because it made me look good. And it didn't matter as much to me whether these kids got to heaven as much as it did that they one day thanked me for making sure they got there. And with an attitude like that, it's easy to see how we might view other churches as competition instead of just being part of the collective church that brings God glory. And so these disciples of John the Baptist came to him and they started complaining about what Jesus was doing. And John's response here is golden. He mastered this. He said in verse 27, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. So this is important. If we're going to find the antidote for our spiritual jealousy, we have got to see that whatever God has given us is not only to be used for his glory, but if he decides to take it away from us and use it in some other way, even if we didn't do anything wrong, that's his to do with it as he wishes. Because God is all about bringing glory to himself, not all to us, to himself. And in the next few verses, John the Baptist displays the secret to overcoming spiritual jealousy. And that is that spiritual jealousy must be replaced with a servant's heart. John says that he's simply the best man at Jesus' wedding. He's like, hey man, I'm just happy to be here. His only role was to make preparations for the bridegroom. And then he says the most memorable, life-consuming words I have ever read in the entire Bible. He says, I've told you, I, he must, I've told you, Jesus, I'm not the Christ. I told you this. Then he says in John 3.30, he must increase. I must decrease. He says in John, in, in, in the NIV, he says, he must become greater, I must become less. These words have become my life verse because I have to be reminded that my life, my purpose, my ministry, my calling is not about me. It's all about him. John then gives Jesus his credentials and shows why this has to be the case. He says, he came from heaven. I'm just from earth. Jesus has come to reveal the truth of God. And God has given everything into his hands. See, God has determined a set purpose for all of his creation. And all of that purpose is to glorify his son, Jesus, so that, so that the son might bring glory back to himself. When we surrender our lives to Christ, that's what it's all about. It's not about getting to heaven someday. It's about bringing glory to God. We don't get to share in that glory. And truthfully, those with servants' hearts don't need to or want to. Now, incidentally, these are the last words of John the Baptist in the Bible. 
And after these words, he fades out and he turns our attention to Jesus instead. In these last words of John the Baptist, he offers an invitation to his disciples and even to us regarding Jesus. He says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now it's interesting here because it sounds as if John the Baptist in this last part of this verse is saying that grace is earned by work so that you can lose your salvation. That in order to get to heaven, we must obey. And, and that just kind of goes against what we believe. Right? Well, clarity comes to this verse when we understand this verse like this. In this phrase, it says, He who believes in the Son... But the word in there can be translated as into. So a more accurate statement would be, he who believes into the Son has eternal life. You see, this gives us a message that we must invest, not not just mentally believe, but we must invest our lives into Jesus. To follow Jesus, we must not only believe in Jesus, we must believe into him. This means we have to abandon our own agendas. This means we we ask for a servant's heart. And this is no doubt hard for John the Baptist's disciples to hear because, John, we were doing a good thing here. We were were gaining popularity and a lot of people were coming to us. But if you remember the apostle John who wrote the book of John, he was once John the Baptist's disciple as well. And he says, you know, I remember John telling me, I'm not the Christ. And there is one whom the Holy Spirit has descended upon. And hey, there he is. Go follow him. And that's exactly what the Apostle John did. You see, these other disciples, they stubbornly held on to their own agendas. And when spiritual jealousy started to arise, it's because their hearts were so full of their own agendas to bring glory to themselves that there was no room left for joy when they saw Jesus. The Apostle Apostle Paul fought with this, this very same feeling. And he was able to master it too. And he even offers some encouragement to those of us who might struggle with this. And in Philippians 1, he says in verses 15 through 18, he says, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some are from also preaching from goodwill. And he said, The latter do it out of love, knowing that, that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. But the former proclaims Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking, me, thinking to cause me distress from my imprisonment. And this is basically what he's saying. He says, he says some people are preaching uh, for good reasons and some people are preaching for bad reasons. And we, we would think, you know, we need, to, we need to stop those people from preaching in, in, in for, bad, for bad reasons, for selfish reasons. But this is what he says. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in the pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. What he's saying is, he says, what do I care if they're preaching out of selfish ambition? At least Jesus is being preached. That's what matters. What do I care as long as Christ is being preached in the world? Everything else is on them. So basically, Paul is saying that I refuse to live under this, 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 this curse of spiritual jealousy. And I'm instead going to, to put my heart, my life, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest everything into Christ. Paul says in a different place, to, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
That's because everything he had, his agenda was gone at this point. Everything he had was about Christ. And this is so easy to talk about and so hard to do. But when we see spiritual jealousy arise in our hearts, it's because we still have some of our own agenda in there. If God takes away the ministry from us and he gives it to others, praise God. If we're not in the spotlight anymore, so be it. This is about Christ, not about us. And you know, I I tell you this, and I speak it loudly, because I need to hear it. It's so easy for me to fall into doing this for my own glory. And that's not of God. And so I need God just as much as anybody else to take this from me and to replace it with a servant's heart. We have to ask God to develop in us the very same servant's heart that John the Baptist had, that Paul had. Only then will it be okay if we fade away and Jesus comes into focus. Because when Jesus becomes our focus, others bringing glory to him, that doesn't fill us with jealousy. It fills us with joy. John says, my joy is complete. When we develop a servant's heart, we get to be the ones that says, he has become greater and I have become less. And I tell you, that's such a beautiful thing. Never had more beautiful words been spoken by by a servant of Christ. And so I challenge you. I challenge you to seek God not just when you have times of spiritual jealousy. See, that's just whenever we see this ugly problem. I, I challenge you to seek God every second of every day and ask God to reveal what's in your heart. To take, take your ugly, bitter, selfish, conceited, vindictive heart and ask God to replace it with something better. God, I ask you to search my heart and to reveal all of the ugly things about who I am and replace me, God, with you. Work this miracle in my heart so that I can turn over my own agenda And your agenda would replace it. Don't let me have my heart. Give me a servant's heart instead. Because God, I know in my heart of hearts that you must become greater and I must become less. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. 
you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.